Aloha, this is Ben Pregnell, and you're listening to the weekend teaching from Hope Chapel in Kihei, Maui. This week, we're hearing from Kyle Knight. Amen. Wow, so good to be with everybody. Welcome, if it's your first time. If we haven't met yet, I'm Kyle, and we are continuing our series. And just want to know, how is everybody liking the book I wrote? You guys like that? Pretty good, yeah. I'm just kidding. My name's Kyle, but different last name. But I am honored that some of you thought that I could write a book. Thank you. Well, uh, no, I'm one of the pastors here, but we may not have seen each other for a little while because I've been gone for a little bit because about seven weeks ago, I got in a pretty bad surfing accident where I got thrown up on some rocks, really fun and uh, rushed to the emergency room where I spent five days because I got five broken ribs in multiple spots and two of my vertebrae, the little side wing bones broke. And so that's fun. And um, so that's where I've been. And so I'm about 75% now. I just want to thank everybody that prayed and helped and, and served our family during that time. So thank you. <clears throat> but as we continue this series, it's just been such an encouragement just going through one at a time really looking at how Jesus impacted the world and how he did that one at a time. And he calls us as believers to meet people where they're at, love people, serving them one at a time, and the difference that it makes in their lives and in our lives. And so as we look at this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus had conversations with people and loved them and pointed them to the hope found in Jesus and him alone. And see, what God does often is he has our lives intersect with other people. A lot of times during these life intersections, they're during major difficulties or or transitions in our lives, these intersections of choices in our lives that God wants to meet us at, and he wants to direct us and do work in our lives. And I think about even the fact that I wasn't planning on that Wednesday morning I wasn't planning on spending the next five-day vacation in the hospital. No, I wasn't planning on that. But God had a plan in that. And when I was in the hospital, he gave me the opportunity to sit there and begin to talk to some of these nurses. Some of these nurses that have been serving, this was four weeks after the fires. They had not only seen so much and had been serving others, but as I began to ask questions and hear their stories, some of these nurses lost everything in the fires. Yet they were still serving and loving, and God just gave me the opportunity, my wife and I, to just ask questions and to minister and to point them to Jesus. Use that opportunity when I'm there to be able to bless them. In fact, the um, chaplain came in and talked to me, and as they were talking to me, I just said, when was the last time somebody asked how you're doing? And she just broke down and began to share and just pour out her heart because she had been sitting there listening to all these stories for the last four weeks. And see, God wants to use, even in our moments, intersections of our lives, he wants to use us to bless others through taking the time one at a time. See, Jesus said to his disciples, as you, or, or he, the Father said this to Jesus, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent you them into the world. And then in verse 20 and verse 21 of John, Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. 
Since we are sent by Jesus as disciples, followers of Jesus, Jesus becomes our model to live missionally, to live with gospel intentionality, to meet people where they're at, to love them and point them to the truth of the hope of the gospel. See, the way that you and I can make a difference in the world is one person at a time. And it often starts with a conversation. You know, as, as we record um, Jesus' interactions in the Bible, you know, only 15 times is he speaking to the crowds, but over 40 times is recorded these one-on-one conversations with Jesus. And so we want to look at one of these conversations this morning. And so if you open up your Bibles to Matthew, sorry, John chapter 4, and we're going to read this account, Matthew chapters. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying Matthew. John chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Listen to this story as I read it. Picture it in your mind. John 4, verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him, Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, that you speak through your word, and you have a word for each one of us today, and I pray that we would have soft hearts, soft hearts to hear what you have to say, not what I have to say, but what you have to say. You would encourage us. You would heal those that are broken. You would strengthen us. You would show us your love, God. You would speak truth. You'd convict us where we need to be convicted. And you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we notice here is in verse 4. It says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Why does it say he had to? Jesus didn't have to pass through Samaria. In fact, it was expected as a Jew that he would not pass through Samaria. But it was necessary for Jesus to. Like it says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Or for God so loved the world. Jesus' mission was global for all nations, and he came to seek the lost. For all nations to know him and love and be saved through him. And it would seem that Jesus that morning got a nudge from God to go through Samaria to have this divine appointment there. And it's a lesson that we learn from in the book that we've been reading one at a time. On page 183, when, when Kyle Adaman talks about this nudge that we can get from God to go a different direction or to talk to somebody. Have you ever had that nudge? I remember in Mexico, I was on a mission trip and we were leaving to come back home on a flight. And just in a few hours, we were leaving, but I just felt this encouragement from God, you need to go back into the town. And the reason why is because I had a broken foot at the time and I had crutches and I had these really nice pads on the crutches and they were just so comfortable. But God said, I want you to go into the town and give those to somebody. I'm like, really? We're leaving for a flight in just a little bit. So I got, I got to go, guys. They're like, where are you going? You got to lead us to the airport. I was like, I'll be back. I hop in a cab. I head five minutes down in the town. And as soon as I get in there, I see this older man with these janky crutches, no pads. He only had one leg. And he was going right across the street and right in front of me. And the Lord just said, that's who you're supposed to talk to. Duh. You know? So I ran over. I started talking to him. And I just gave him these pads, and he broke down crying, and he was so thankful. I don't know what happened. I just told him that Jesus loves him, and he told me to come and give these to him. Does God ever nudge your heart? Do you ever pray for that? God, today, when I leave these doors, is there somebody you want me to go talk to? Is there somebody you want me to go serve? God will prompt your heart to go talk and have conversations or love or serve. See, Jesus was purposeful in going through Samaria, knowing, as we will see, he was going to encounter this woman who was seeking satisfaction in all sorts of things, only to be left empty, hurting, and broken. And Jesus came to save her and heal her. See, when we're told that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the word seek carries the idea that something isn't readily accessible or attainable. There's something difficult in getting to it, seeking the lost. Does that mean that the lost were hard to find? Did Jesus come and go, where's all the lost people? I can't find them. No. 
What it means is there are barriers that keep people from hearing the gospel message or coming to God. The biggest barrier being sin. That's our number one barrier that Jesus came to break and remove to reconcile us back to God because we were created to have a relationship with God. That's where the most freedom and joy and hope and peace and satisfaction is found and by our sins separated us from God. So Jesus came to move that barrier so that we could find fulfillment in a relationship with God. That's what Jesus did on the cross and rose from the dead. But before we can get to the sin issue, there are other barriers in our society, in our culture, in our lives. See, missionaries all throughout time have tried to figure out how to deal with the cultural barriers, the language barriers, worldview, or tradition barriers to share the truth of Jesus. And we as followers of Jesus are called to be on mission right here in Maui. And we find ourselves with barriers too that keep us from sharing the gospel message or keep others from hearing the gospel message. And so Jesus, with this one at a time moment, breaks through these barriers so that she would know the good news of the gospel. See, verse 6 tells us Jesus was tired, hungry, and it was the hottest part of the day. And like Kyle Eidemann talks about in the book, you know, I'm just like him. The last thing I want to do when I'm tired and hungry, when I'm hangry, is have a deep conversation with a stranger, right? I got one thing on my mind. I got to eat, and I need to eat now. Just me? I think you're like that too. But we, I, tend to find all kinds of reasons why I don't engage in one-on-one, one-at-a-time conversations about Jesus right? I can't because I'm too tired. I'm hungry. I'm headed to lunch. I don't have time to talk to this person. I can't because I'm not good enough example. I can't share Jesus because I'm not very good at it. I don't know exactly what to say. And what's the common theme in all of those? I. All those excuses are about you or me, but it's not about you or me. We don't lead people to Jesus. God does that. We are invited to be a part of it, but we get into the conversation, but it's about Jesus. He's the one who saves people. We don't save people, so we don't have to worry about that. We just do our best, and God does the rest. See, these one-at-a-time moments won't come when we think that they're most convenient, Jesus is tired, he's worn out, he's exhausted, he's hungry. But God works in our weaknesses. He works in our weaknesses. God knows what he's doing in every situation. Again, at the hospital, I'm there because I'm broken and in pain, and I need people to serve me. But God prompts my heart to say, yeah, but I have you here for a reason. And I felt that nudge. I want you to talk about me to your roommate. And I felt that nudge, but you know what I did? I ignored it. You know why? Because there were some barriers. First barrier was, I didn't feel good. I just broke five ribs. I was uncomfortable. So I didn't listen through that barrier. And then the second barrier was, for the first two days, he only spoke Spanish to the, all, of, all of the nurses, everybody, his family, and I don't speak Spanish, and I thought, uh, I don't know, maybe he doesn't speak English. That was the next barrier. I'm like, oh, there's cultural differences. I don't know. The Lord kept pressing me, and finally I had a conversation with him. 
Come to find out, he was in the hospital four weeks after the fire because he had to escape Lahaina on foot with this child running where he cut his foot. But because of all the things happening, he wasn't able to fully deal with it and to the point that it got infected that he went to the hospital and they were going to have to amputate his foot. Praise God, they only had to take off part of his foot. But here's this story of this man who's gone through so much. And my wife and I were just able to listen to him and pray with him and encourage him. And then you as a church family were able to help him through some financial help. See, God works in our weaknesses. No matter what's going on in our lives, he wants to use us to love and be his hands and feet to point people to Jesus. When we're in need, we can approach conversations with humility and love. See, Jesus humbly entered a conversation with this woman despite some big barriers that he had to break through. Racial issues, religious issues, gender issues, identity issues, sexual issues, which all had become barriers that could have kept this woman from hearing the gospel. And we're surrounded by these issues today, aren't we? And they can become barriers. Look at verse 7 again. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city, and the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was a Samaritan, Jesus was a Jew, and that means that there was real racial and religious barriers here. There was a sad, deep racial tension between these two groups of people, hatred for over 500 years. Because the Samaritans had built their own temple, and they had mixed Judaism with pagan religions, and so there was religious tension and racial tension The Samaritans were considered by many Jews to be in a continual state of uncleanness. In fact, if a Jew passed through Samaria, they were considered unclean and weren't allowed to participate in any of the religious ceremonies. And that's why in verse 9 it says, How is it that you, a Jew, want to drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Literally, the Greek means we don't share cups. We don't drink from the same cups. You Jews won't drink from our cups because you think that we're unclean, and we don't drink from your cups because we don't like you. So how is it that you want to drink from me? The hatred was horrible on both sides. In fact, there's a story in Luke when Jesus and the disciples go to a town of Samaria, and the Samaritans reject Jesus and the disciples and kick him out of the town. And you know what the disciples said? They said, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? (laughs) Literally, the disciples are like, can we kill him, Jesus? That's how real this was. They were kicked out of a city, and the disciples asked Jesus if they could kill them. Ugly, radical, racial, and religious hatred. And we see this in our day today. We even see it in the Middle East, right? Religious and racial issues happening today, and it's terrible, the sort of things that are happening with Hamas and Israel. And what we need to be doing as a church is praying and being ready because Jesus is coming back soon. But the issues 
These barriers are right here in the U.S., aren't they? Right here in Maui. There's racial and religious barriers today that can prevent people from hearing or sharing the gospel. But Jesus became a barrier breaker as a Jew going into Samaria to talk to this woman. Oh, there's another barrier. She was a woman. Another issue in that day and culture, the gender issue were very real in the context of Jesus' time. Jesus was alone at the well, and the woman came, and what was culturally expected of Jesus is that he would back up 20 feet and not talk to her. That was what was expected. Men, especially Jewish men, did not speak to women about theological issues. The Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral law, which is not scripture, make that clear, said... He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. That's pretty awful. Thankfully, in our culture, we don't view women the same way, right? Amen? But it was a real cultural issue at the time. In our culture, gender issues aren't the same. They look differently, but we have them, don't we? It's almost accepting in our culture to change one's gender from the, the way that they were born. Real gender issues today that become barriers for people from hearing or receiving the gospel. And Jesus, with great love, pursued her so that she could know God's love. Another barrier was an identity issue. We see this in the fact that she came to the well at noon in the middle of the day alone. Women usually went to the well in the morning or in the evening with a group, but she went alone. Why? It suggests that she was an outcast, that she was looked down upon, and that she was a woman of low reputation in her community, and others avoided her. She was identified as a bad woman, and she felt badly about herself. We read that in verse 16 and 17, that it shows that she had a lot of relational hurts. She had five broken marriages. There was a lot of relational brokenness that caused and was resulted from that. And there was also sexual immorality. She was living with the guy who wasn't her husband, which wasn't normal. And the Bible is very clear that marriage and sex is between one man and one woman in marriage. And so she had some sexual immorality going on. So her identity was one that was broken. She was rejected by her community. She felt pain and shame. She felt not worthy. And with that, she was relationally and sexually broken. And we can all understand this. To some degree, we can understand brokenness, can't we? We experience this sort of brokenness relationally Sexually, failed marriages, abuse, unmet expectations. We understand. And those are the very things that Jesus wants to deal with in her life to bring the good news of the gospel that heals all brokenness. It's the very thing he wants to do in our lives. The reason why he came is to come to heal those places of brokenness in each one of us. All those are issues, the racial, religious, gender, identity, sexual, would have all been barriers. In fact, she would have seen Jesus, a Jewish man, and she would have had her guard up immediately. Who's this guy? 
He doesn't like me. I don't like him. He's probably judging me. But Jesus lovingly breaks through these barriers and asks this woman, please give me a drink. Look at verse 10 through 15. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and he drank from it himself and his livestock. Now listen, Jesus doesn't say this, but what he's saying is, yes, I'm far greater than Jacob. In verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks water from this well will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus met this woman where she was at. He started a conversation with her that fit the context of the situation. And Jesus progressed the conversation to the gospel of new life, eternal life found in him and him alone. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who's talking to you, Jesus, you'd ask Jesus for living water. Jesus offered her eternal life, springing up a well that would satisfy her thirst. The truth that all those who would believe in faith in Jesus would have their sins fully forgiven, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that they would have eternal life because they're right with God, and their hearts would be fully satisfied in a relationship with Him, full of joy and contentment. That's the reality of the gospel. He's speaking of something that he clarifies in John chapter 7 when he says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because there was not yet, or because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus, with great love, pursued her. He broke through these barriers to show her that he loves her, that she's worthy, and that he came to save and forgive her and heal her. She had tried to be satisfied with all these things in the world. Sound familiar? Anybody ever tried that? Try all these things. Oh, maybe a little bit more of this. A house will satisfy me. Oh, a relationship will satisfy me. Oh, these drugs will make me feel better. This, this, we grab after all these things only to continually be thirsty because there's only one thing that satisfies the heart. A relationship with your God who loves you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he broke through these barriers, to bring her to a place of freedom, a place of joy. That's what every soul longs for, and Jesus came to provide the very thing that we long for the most. Now, she didn't understand at first, but she did want to receive what Jesus is offering. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, 
Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And then probably the greatest understatement in history, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) But notice Jesus lovingly brings up his knowledge of her hurt. That she's had five husbands that have divorced her. And her current sin, she was living in with this man that wasn't her husband. Look at her response in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who am speaking am he. Now, some things we can learn from this conversation is when the gospel truth gets personal in our lives, there's normally one of two responses. One, the response is conviction and and, and to realize that there's hope found in Jesus and, and him alone and what he did to come and save and heal and forgive and offer eternal life. And maybe that's this woman's response. It very well could be. She may have been like, hey, Jesus, I want to be healed, but I know that it's through going to the temple that the sacrifice happens to have forgiveness of sin. So do I go to the Samaritan temple or do I go to the Jewish temple? Or the second response that often people have when the conversation gets personal, and this may have been her response too, it's hard to tell, that Jesus got personal and she got theological. She brought a controversial debate with Jesus, which this happens, right? Have you ever gotten a conversation about Jesus and people don't really want to deal with anything personal? They want to go to some lofty theological argument. How can you believe that there's only one way to heaven? If God is so good, how come there's pain and evil in the world? Those are difficult questions. But my encouragement to us, if you get in those conversations, try to bring the conversation back to Jesus, personally, how it impacts their lives. Don't get into an argument and try to fight. We're not trying to win an argument. Often it's when we're patient and loving and listen to people's struggles, people's questions, which we've all had and we all have. When we're patient and loved, often God uses that in people's lives down the line to show them God's love. Now, Jesus didn't ignore her question, but he lovingly brought it back to the truth of the gospel found in him. That's why he says, worship in spirit and truth, what Jesus is referring to is the reality 
that he was going to be the Lamb of God. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice to pay for all of sins, to remove people's sins as far as the east is from the west, the final sacrifice, and that all those that would believe in him would be forgiven through the work of the cross and the resurrection, and then they would also then receive the Holy Spirit, which is the power, the presence of God in their lives, and that once you receive the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit, so therefore you can worship God anywhere because the barrier of sin has been fully removed. Therefore, you wouldn't have to go to the temple. This is what he's speaking about, the gospel. See, Jesus, with love and humility and compassion and care, was willing to break through these barriers so that she might find healing and joy and life in the person of Christ and the work that he was going to do on the cross. And you and I have just been like that. I identify with this woman in so many different ways. I, too, and broken, and was completely broken and lost, grabbing after these things, pleasures, sex, drugs, whatever it was, grabbing after these things only to be left empty. But there was people that were willing to break through the barriers of my spiky, I had spiked out blue hair, probably scared some people. But you know what? Jesus pursued me loved me and his people, certain people, not all people. Some people came and had a conversation with me. They were willing to break through those awkward barriers. Are you willing to break through some of these barriers to love people, to serve them, to begin a conversation and point them to the fact that they can find freedom and healing and joy and peace in a relationship with Jesus? How do we do this? How do we do this? If you're a follower of Jesus, how do you do this? Number one, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. It's the power of God that lives in you that's going to allow any of us to love anybody genuinely and powerfully. By God's grace and his power of the Holy Spirit in us. The second way we do this is we do it with genuine humility and love. We do it with genuine humility and love. Therefore, that means we don't do it with condemnation and hatred. We do it with genuine humility and love. Jesus stepped into this situation having just been rejected by the Jews, the Pharisees, in verses 1 through 3. That's what it's talking about, the fact that Jesus was pushed out by the Pharisees. He understood what it was like to be rejected. He understood what it was like to be pushed away as an outcast. And with humility, he came to Samaria. Listen. He made himself a minority. With humility, Jesus came to Samaria, making himself the minority. Jesus didn't wait for her to come to him. He didn't wait for her to come into Jerusalem where she would have been the minority. No, Jesus went to Samaria to where he was unwanted. We often want people to come to church to the gathering, to meet Jesus and hear the gospel, which is good. 
and it's a good desire. But when somebody comes here that doesn't know Jesus and have a relationship with him, we Christians are the majority. And unbelievers can feel out of place or uncomfortable. But Jesus was willing to go out where he was the minority and break through what was uncomfortable and to break through the barriers in order to humbly and lovingly bring her the gospel truth. What a beautiful example to us that Jesus would do that for you and I. The third thing we do is we remember daily God's grace and forgiveness towards you. See, it's daily remembering the gospel. Daily remember the fact that God forgives you and he loves you and what great lengths he went to do that. See, humility and remembering God's love towards us keeps us from seeing people as projects because people are not projects. When we see people with humility and we're humble before God and we see his love for us, it creates in us a genuine love to want to enter into relationships with others and with great compassion and love to see people the way that God sees them as a son or daughter of God. Jesus doesn't see us as projects. He sees us as his sons and daughters that he loves. And so therefore he enters into a relationship with us. He engages with us to point us to the hope found in him. To heal us. What are some barriers that keep you from sharing Jesus or your testimony with others? Is it barriers of religion Maybe you think somebody's too far gone or, or, or you're afraid to enter a conversation with somebody with a different religious background, a, a Mormon or, or Buddhist or Hindu or New Age or Muslim or Jehovah Witness. Is the barrier just that someone's much different from you? Somebody with a different political view or somebody who voted differently than you? What's the barrier? Is it, is it cultural backgrounds? Is it somebody who's really poor, or the homeless, or, or somebody who's just really rich, maybe somebody who's openly living in sin, what are those barriers? Maybe it's somebody who's living a homosexual lifestyle, or a lesbian lifestyle, or a trans lifestyle that you don't understand, or somebody who struggles with same-sex attraction. Are those barriers for you to move forward and love and share the love of Christ? There are many barriers, but there's this one reality in every human heart. The longing, the thirst for satisfaction is the same. It's true. It's unwavering. Every one of us is searching for that contentment and joy, and the reality is that is the person or every person's soul, every person's heart, every nation, every tongue, every background, every person of any different religion, any whatever the struggles are, every person, this is the reality of the human kind. Every person is searching for the same thing, whether they realize it or not. It is the very fact that there is a God who created us. He loves us. But our sin, my sin, has separated us from a relationship with him. And all of us are broken. 
But Jesus in his goodness became the minority, came as a baby at Christmas, lived a sinless life, went to the cross for you and I to say, I will pay for their sins even though they don't deserve it. I will take and I will raise from the dead to show you that I can conquer sin and death and I offer eternal life to all those that would believe in faith. See, that's the reality of every heart. We're all looking for that. We try to fill it with so many other things, but this is the fact. Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and I. And so whatever the barriers are, no matter how far somebody's gone, we have to realize that is the same truth for all of us. We're all searching. And so therefore, God can break through any of those barriers. Jesus came to bring the gospel to all people, no matter their background, no matter their nationality, no matter their sin, he came to save. And often it starts with a conversation and listening to, to them and sharing Jesus, pointing them to God. And yes, there comes a point where Jesus wants to deal with the sin in our lives. And, and listen, if we're entering into conversations, we have to do it humbly and recognize that we have the one thing in common, that we're all broken, we've all sinned, and they're separated from God, and we all need to receive Jesus in faith. We don't need to point out every specific sin issue in somebody's life. The biggest issue is this, that we have sinned and we need a Savior. And once you receive the gospel of Christ, then the beginning process of sanctification happens, where then God's Holy Spirit lives in us. The Word of God begins to direct us because everything in Scripture is for our joy and our freedom. And so then the Holy Spirit begins to work on the different sins in our lives and He begins to deal with one at a time. And it's a lifelong process. I'm not there. You're not there. So loving somebody doesn't mean that we condone all they do. Jesus didn't condone the behavior of the woman. He addressed the sin. He always deals with the sin, but we don't condone sin, but we are still called to love. Jesus loved her even though her behavior was bad and sinful. And that's why I love what Romans 5, 8 says. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When there was nothing to approve of in us, when we were doing everything wrong, Christ died for us. There's nothing I was doing to deserve that. That's unconditional, unbelievable grace and mercy and love from God. And he calls us to love others that way. See, we enter into the conversation, we love, we don't condemn, we point people to Jesus, we hold the truth, we hold to what the Bible says is right and wrong, sin, we hold to that, but our goal is not to change a person's lifestyle or change their sin behavior, our goal is to help them to see Jesus, and they were created to know him, and their sin separates them from him, but God made a way for them to be satisfied in a relationship with him where they have joy and eternal life in Jesus and, and what Jesus did on the cross going for them, and so that that truth would be the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. It's the kindness of God in the gospel that leads somebody to repentance. Then when they believe, and have the, have the Holy Spirit, then the long process again of sanctification begins in their lives. And God begins to work on those areas. 
And we need to have grace with each other. That's discipleship. We're to point people to Scripture and to help each other grow in our relationship with Christ. We need to have grace and patience with each other because it's a process that God has to do in our lives. What was the result for this woman? It's a beautiful truth. She sees God's love for her. Her life is transformed to the point that she goes back to her village her town, where she was rejected, and what does she do? She proclaims, come and see Jesus. What does the town do? They listen to her, and they go out, and they see Jesus, and a revival happens in this town. And Jesus and the disciples spend multiple days with the Samaritans, these two groups of people that hated each other, now are united together, loving one another. That's powerful transformation. That's what the gospel does. That's what it did in my life. Powerful transformation. The whole town comes to believe. She saw the goodness of God. Have you seen the goodness of God and his love for you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Each one of us, let's stop grabbing after all these things that we think will satisfy us. Jesus is the one that will quench our thirst. He made a way on the cross. He came to heal all brokenness. And that's what I love about the gospel is because Jesus didn't just save us from our sin He didn't just save us from something. He saved us to something. He saved us to something, a relationship with him, heaven. Heaven is a beautiful place. In the presence of God, the Bible says in Psalm 16, says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when we go to love each other and share Jesus, it's not because somebody needs to be fixed. It's because there's a reality that there's something far greater. There's something far greater than anything this world has to offer. It's God and his love. And in his presence in eternity, there's pleasures forevermore in his presence. And so Jesus, yes, he came to remove our sins, but to save us into something of joy and contentment. And so let that truth in your lives and my lives be overwhelming, of just overwhelmed. God, you love me that much. You would die for me. Remind me of the goodness. Thank you for the joy you provided in my life. And that out of that would be an overflow that we'd walk out of these doors and we would meet people where they're at, genuinely building relationships, genuinely loving people, genuinely pointing them to Jesus because of the hope and joy found in him that Jesus wants to heal all brokenness in their lives. And so let's pray together and be encouraged. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, you see today the love that he has for you, you can believe and you can be saved and have a relationship with him instantly. And it's all by faith, it's not by works. Nothing you can do to earn it. For God so loved the world, he came. 
God demonstrated his love for you that while you were still a sinner, he died for you and he rose from the dead. And so let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to be people who remember the gospel. We'd be empowered by your Holy Spirit and that we would love well from a place of humility, compassion, and truth. And I pray for those this morning that don't know you and you're knocking on their heart. You're, you're calling them. You're breaking through these barriers to show them that you love them. If that's you this morning, just take a step of faith. You're praying a prayer from your heart to the Lord. You can pray this in your heart. God, I don't understand it all, but I see that you came to love me. I confess my sins before you. I turn from them and I turn to you. I trust in you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, but you rose from the dead. Let me be a child of God. Help me to walk with you and know you and experience this healing and this joy in what you did on the cross and in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to connect with you. Visit us at HopeChapelMaui.com. And let us know any way we may be able to serve you. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hope Chapel Maui. Stay up to date with all the latest. God bless you.